Our text for today comes from John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. On the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen laying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw, and he believed." They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that she had seen these things, that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good work. All right. Well, it's Easter. We're all here together. And as Ashley said, I think this is a significantly better Easter than last Easter. Uh, The only difference is uh, last year, Ashley made hot cross buns, which I had never had before, and I did not know it was an Easter thing. Uh, And so that made that last Easter good. But seeing all of you this year makes this Easter much better. And you are also lucky because of the fact that we skipped last year, you're going to get two Easter messages today. No. No, I'm not going to string 50 minutes of sermon together for you this morning. Um, You don't need any of that. The truth of the matter is, is that Easter isn't about me. It's not about, uh, it's, it's not about a sermon. It's not about an Easter egg hunt. It's not about hams as much as ham is. I'm a fan of that. Um, None of that really matters really matters. The central claim of Easter, the the most important thing that is going on today is that we celebrate that Christ overcame death, hell, and the grave. That is it. That is all. If he is indeed risen, then there is this kind of all-encompassing fact that changes everything, and we can walk forward into our lives with hope and purpose and direction and all of it. We will fall short, and I fall short. I miss the mark sometimes in my life. And we will all, in in our own way, fall short, but thanks be to God, we have a God who overcame the, the grave in the resurrection. You know, there is this thing that always stands out to me when I look at the resurrection stories, and that is that everyone in the resurrection stories 
feels very human to me. And I think that's the case in our teaching text for today as well. We are all human. We won't, we won't do everything we're supposed to do. I will fall desperately short of, of, of summing up the like world-altering significance of the resurrection today. Because I'm a flawed human being, and you are as well. I, I ran across one, art, one article that said that you will probably forget 80 to 90% of what is said here today in like 15 minutes after service, right? Which is okay. Like, I won't be offended. I just assume it's a, it's a psychological effect. But here's the thing. We're all flawed, right? We're all flawed. And I do think it's okay, that fact, because, because... We're shown in the Gospels a number of people, specifically in the stories of Jesus' resurrection, we're, we're told about a number of people who are also flawed. There are a few examples of this, in our, like I said, in our teaching text this morning. The one that stands out to me it is, that's of, as most odd, and the one that probably stood out to you, is of these two disciples of Jesus who head to the garden tomb to investigate the disappearance of Jesus' body. Peter is named. He's one of the two disciples who's named in this story. But the other disciple is simply called the one that Jesus loved. Uh, now, this is a strange way of referring to someone, isn't it? The one that Jesus loved. Now, we know from st our study of ancient history writing that this is actually a literary device that's sometimes used when the primary author of a work includes himself in the story. So, instead of saying, I, John, ran to the tomb with Peter, John, apparently, being the humble guy that he is, chose a pseudonym. And instead of saying, uh, the son of, I don't know what his dad's name, the son of Bartholomew went with Peter, or another disciple went with Peter, John chose the one Jesus loved, which is incredibly humble, isn't it, when you think about it? And just for extra emphasis, John was not only the one that Jesus loved, he also wants to assure his audience that he's wicked fast and that he can outrun Peter to the tomb. In verse 3, so Peter and the other disciples started to the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Able to beat Peter to a, in a foot race to the tomb of Jesus? Check. More loved than everybody else? Check, right? What are we doing here, John? The story, this story of the resurrection does not smooth out the rough edges of the lives of the people who are involved in it. Uh, they are all flawed. They're all partial. They are all broken, just like us. The story of the resurrection bursts into a flawed world, full of self-indulgent, competitive, apparently, and slightly dim people. And the, the, this message then is, opens up new vistas of possibility for flawed, self-indulgent, competitive, and slightly dim people like you and me, right? The rest, yeah, okay. I don't know if that's good or not, Carol. And I, for one, am very happy that this is how the resurrection works. I am. Maybe especially this year. This year more than almost any other year that I can remember. Because we are a year into a pandemic that has 
run roughshod over many of our lives. To say that the last year of this pandemic has taken a toll on us is probably a bit of an understatement. I'm sure many of you have seen all of the reporting that's been done about mental health and the struggles that so many people are having in our nation and in our world. This year has forced many of us to carry burdens that we didn't expect we would even have to carry. Parents trying to juggle busy schedules while educating their children at the same time. Long periods of social isolation, which if if you're an introvert, you're probably saying that's no big deal, but if you're an extrovert, you're saying I'm dying inside, right? Anxiety about the overall state of the world. And throw in the kind of political and social upheaval that we experienced in the past year, and it turns into quite a recipe, doesn't it? I could give a ton of like very ex explanatory explanations about the, the struggle that this year has had for so many people. But the truth of the matter is, is I don't need to explain it because most, if not all of us, are carrying the reality of the difficulty of this year in our very bodies, right? We have our own stories to tell about the ways in which this year was difficult. And in the light of the pan this pandemic, in the light of the struggles that we have all inevitably faced, the resurrection of, of Jesus does not meet us on the other side of it after we've gone to counseling and got all of our issues straightened out, after we've sanitized our lives, that we've controlled our minds, we've, we've met the, the difficulties of our world and overcame it all, and then the resurrection occurs. No, the resurrection occurs in the midst of this, and that's good news. It happens in the midst of the things that which, in which we are experiencing. It happens in the midst of our brokenness. It meets us right where we are, and that's beautiful, and that's wonderful. You see, the picture that we get in the Gospel of John's telling of this resurrection is a picture of new creation, of new creation, of newness. We all know this. It's spring right now. Of newness springing out of the ground, of something new coming about where only an old thing existed. In John's account of the, re of, of the resurrection, after the disciples, Peter and John, leave the garden, this a woman left there by herself. Her name's Mary Magdalene. She's left alone and she's in tears in this moment. Fearing that someone has taken the body of her teacher, her rabbi, her friend, she's already endured this devastating loss of Jesus. She's been witness to the brutal death, the crucifixion of Jesus, and now she's dealing with the debasement of the fact that she can't even bury her rabbi the way that she would want to, in a way that would give him dignity and purpose, and she's in the midst of just confusion and grief on this Easter morning. She's right there, and it's in that moment, early in the morning, that she encounters someone that she believes to be a gardener. And she says this to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go get him. Which is an interesting thing to say to somebody, isn't it? This is a desperate question of a broken woman. That's where Mary Magdalene is on Easter morning. Now, Christians have long recognized the symbolism in this story of Mary confusing Jesus for the gardener. As John tells the story of Jesus' resurrection, he weaves into this story little hints of other stories that we've heard before, little echoes of Scripture that kind of ripple down through the stories and kind of find their fullness or their fruition in the person of Jesus. 
the primary echo that we hear in this telling of the resurrection is the echo of the story of creation. Now, this is really, really important. So important, in fact, that I think we, when we miss it, it, it messes with our vision or our picture of who God is and what Jesus came to do. I think very often we miss this picture of new creation when we think of the work of Jesus and what he did for us. You see, there's this common idea that the primary message of Easter is that Jesus rescues us to take us away from something, to take us away from something. So Jesus comes and he rescues us, so that, and then he takes us away from our problems, right? Like he, like he picks us up and he moves us to a different place where he is, where we don't have any problems anymore, or that he takes us away from punishment, or that he even, he like removes us from the wicked world that is causing all of our problems, and that's the way that Christ solves our problems. But that's not it at all. Not if you read new creation into the story of resurrection. The point of Easter is that the great act of redemption is the renewal of creation the remaking of our world. It is about the mending of our broken world and our broken lives and our broken relationships with one another and with God. You see, Jesus meets us in our imperfectness, in our humanness, but he does not meet us there to take us away from those things. He meets us there to transform them. The story of Easter is that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead three days later, simply, not simply so that we would escape our troubles with him. This is the story of a king returning to his kingdom. And that has a totally different effect. It's the story of the rightful ruler of the world putting his stamp on all of reality and saying, this is what it should be like. Of the God of all creation putting right what has been so badly broken. You see, the the resurrection does not teach us that we are to escape the world. It shows us that he he transforms our broken world right under our very feet. Even when we're not aware of it. If we put ourselves in the feet of some of these characters who first see Jesus' resurrection. This is the way the scholar N.T. Wright puts it. He says, the message of Easter is that God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus Christ, and you and I are invited to belong to it. You and I are invited to belong to it. This is why the Apostle Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a what? New creation. The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And so Easter is an announcement, not of escape, but of hope. It should buoy us with hope that God has not abandoned us to the eventualities and the circumstances of our lives, but that in Jesus, God has acted definitively within the course of history to rescue us from the inevitability of our brokenness and our sin. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 35 kind of casting out into the future, gives a prophecy of hope, and he says this, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom and rejoice with joy and singing. The desert 
shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. That's the promise God makes to Israel through the prophet Isaiah, a promise that came to fruition on Easter morning when something even more unlikely than a desert turning into a pool occurred, when a dead man rose and changed everything. You know, after this encounter with Jesus, Mary is transformed. She doesn't, she doesn't continue in her sadness and in her grief. She is now, it seems, in awe. And she sets off immediately in verse 18. And she runs back to the other disciples and she finds them. And she, she tells them what she has just experienced. John tells us that when she gets there, she tells them about Jesus' resurrection and what uh, he had said to her. Mary carries this story with her to the disciples as a kind of witness or herald. She's a messenger. She's the Paul Revere of the resurrection, if you want to put it that way. And though she carries the message of Jesus' resurrection back to this, the disciples, some of them did not believe her message. Actually, I think we're led to believe in this text that none of them really did. The truth is, is that the disciples don't come to an understanding of what took place until they are able to meet with Jesus. Later that night, Jesus appears to them. He comes to them where they were, just like he comes to us where we are. And he says these words, peace be with you. And then the text tells us that he showed the disciples his hands and his side. You see, the resurrection happened in history. It really happened. I think there's good historical evidence to say that, and, if, and an encounter with Christ shows us that. And the witnesses of the resurrection, like Mary, carry this message. We carry it. But the truth is that even though I think there is good historical evidence to believe that the resurrection really happened, none of us can believe this message without an encounter. The message is powerful and inspiring, but it is a relational encounter with the risen Lord that kind of seals the deal. And here's the thing, to circle back to the beginning. You don't have to have anything fixed up or properly organized in order to have this type of encounter. Joss, if you would come up, that'd be great. One of the disciples in the story of Jesus' resurrection, after Jesus appears to the disciples, is a guy named Thomas. You've probably heard him referred to as Doubting Thomas. But apparently he was out getting dinner when the rest of the disciples were having an encounter with Jesus, and he gets back to this room, and he tells uh, and the disciples tell him that Jesus has risen from the dead and that he appeared to us and that he showed us his hands and he showed us his side. And Thomas is not having any of it, right? He's been told by people he trusts, people who are his friends, but he, he doesn't believe it. He simply can't go to that place. Maybe he's just been hurt one too many times. Seeing his Lord, the person he put all of his trust and hope in, somebody he believed to be the Messiah, die was probably just too much. I, I'm just not going to put myself through that again. But yet, Jesus again comes and meets Thomas, just like he met with John and Peter and Mary. And just like he met 
Mary in her grief and he met John in his pride or whatever he thought he was, a track star. Uh, Pete, just like he met Peter in, what, in Peter's denial, he meets Thomas in his doubt, in his incredulity. And I think the point of this is that he meets us as well. Jesus longs to meet each and every one of us in our imperfection and be in that place a kind of resurrection for us. You see, the resurrection is not something we can just be told about. Sometimes I feel a little bit like Mary, right? Like I'm just telling the truth. I'm just, I'm just calling it like I see it for the most part. I'm just a witness. I'm just the one here saying, it's all true. It's all true. And I believe that, every bit of it, I think. It's all true. Jesus has risen. He has overcome death, hell, and the grave. New creation is springing up all around us in ways that maybe we are blind to today. A new world of possibility and hope has been made available. And he is inviting you and me to participate with him in the creation of this new world as his co-laborers and as his friends. You know, this morning as I was driving to church, uh, it was still a little dark. And I went to Casey's and I got something to drink. And as I was pulling into the parking lot, the sun was just beginning to rise. Actually, the sun wasn't even rising. It was just that kind of purplish haze you get on the horizon before you can even begin to see the sun. And I thought to myself, I don't even know why I'm preaching. I don't, I don't, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna fall short. I'm not gonna do the best job. I would be better off driving all, getting all of you in my car and driving you to some hill early in the morning and as the sun rises, pointing to it and going, that's what's happening for the entirety of the cosmos. It's a better illustration, right? And as I look, I, I stood out there a little too long because I, in my heart, I'm slightly sentimental. And as I stood and I watched the sunrise, I just thought, my Lord, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're making all things new. Making all things new. And I, you know, I don't have access to your interior life in the same way that you don't have access to my interior life. I don't know what, what you're struggling with. I don't know what this year has been like for you. I don't know what your encounters with church or Jesus or any of those things are. But as a, kind of represent, as a kind of representative, as a messenger, as a friend, maybe, I just want to say to you, it's all true. It's all true. And you can trust him. You can trust him to reform and remake your life. You can trust that if you partner your life to Jesus, you will begin a journey of new creation in ways that you were never aware of, in ways that you never expected.
Would you stand with me this morning? As we go today, I just want to pray for us. We're all at different phases, different points in our lives. We've all had different encounters, like I said. But the the one thing that holds true today is that Christ is risen. And new possibilities are springing up all over the place. You Maybe you've come in this morning and you felt just like, there are no new possibilities, right? The possibilities have run their course. My life is unmanageable, or I've hit that brick wall five million times in a row, and there's just no more possibility. I want to tell you, there is. Maybe you're in this place and you're a follower of Jesus, and you're like, it's all just like kind of moralism and boring stuff. I don't feel any newness of life coming. I don't feel any infusion of, of resurrection power. What are we singing about today? And I would just say to you, I just say to you that God wants you, wants you to join him on this adventure to kind of like refocus and reorient again to what it means to be a person who joins God in the renewal of all things. And if you're in this place this morning and you have no concept of what it means to have a personal encounter with Jesus that leads to new life, you can do that as well right here and right now. As you, as you kind of make that shift away from like a self-guided reality to a reality that, to a life that's grounded in the lordship of Jesus and finds its purpose and its hope in the resurrection. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we pray today? Father, we love you. And I pray, God, for each and every one of us in the place today that the resurrection of Jesus would not just be a story that we tell, that it would not just be a, uh, a happy thing that we celebrate once a year like some other holiday, but rather that it would be a through-going reality in our lives and that we would see resurrection, new life, new creation springing up all over the place. And Father, I pray for my friends in this place, my friends who feel as though maybe they don't see that in their lives. God, would you bring that new life and new creation into their view? And for those, God, here this morning who don't know what that's like, who haven't had, an, had, haven't had like Thomas, an encounter with the risen Lord God, would you meet them in this moment and in this time? Would they not just hear the resurrection as a message, but would they meet the resurrected king this morning? And would they find in him someone that they can place their hope? Jesus, would you fill our hearts with possibilities this morning? Would you fill our hearts with hope? And would you help us to be a people of new possibilities a people who join you in your project of making all things new. And so, Jesus, this morning, we pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen and amen. All right. All right. Well, it's Easter, and everything is new.
And so we can go from this place with great hope and in great assurance that God is present to us in the person of Jesus and that we can be near him, that we can be restored to life and to love and to relationship with the lover of our souls. And so as you go today, would you go in the grace and in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ? I hope you have a great Easter. I hope that you get to find an egg or two, even if you're a big person. All right? All right. So if you are a family and you have some kiddos and you're going to do an Easter egg hunt, uh, we do have those Easter baskets on your way out. Feel free to grab one of those. I think Jen's out there to help you do that. And if you're new with us and you brought a, uh, and you filled out information in that card, Jen's also out there and she will help you uh, get a mug as well. Uh, it's a good day. He is risen. See, you nailed it again. Have a good day. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you.